So uh, tonight, what we're going to get is kind of a double feature in our passage that we're going to be looking at. So uh, the, the nice thing is you kind of get that old nostalgic drive-in double feature feel. Uh, the other thing is I'm not going to keep you here till midnight. I think, you know, you had to stick around for a while at the drive-in, right, if you were going to do that. So we're not going to keep you guys around here until midnight, but we are going to cover two different stories. Uh, so we're going to hit both of them, but, but they really kind of fit together. And so uh, some of the connections that we're going to make are, are going to help those two fit together. So uh, Act 1 that we're going to look at in verses 12 through 16 in Luke chapter 5 uh, talks about Jesus cleansing a leper. Someone who uh, was sick with leprosy, uh, Jesus cleansed and and healed that person. And then the second act is where Jesus uh, forgives and then heals uh, a paralytic man, a a man who was paralyzed, unable to walk, uh, unable to get around on his own. So we're going to look at these two stories, and in seeing this story of a leper and a paralyzed man, uh, Jesus is going to show that he can cleanse both physical problems, physical ailments, but also that he can meet spiritual needs, and that's an important thing for him as well. So uh, what I want to do is we're going to pray, and we're going to jump in with Act 1 here in just a second. Would you guys pray with me? God, we thank you for, uh, God, for your word. God, we thank you that we can gather together uh, proudly and boldly and declare uh, that we worship Jesus Christ without fear of uh, punishment, without fear of uh, any sort of ramifications that, that are uh, going to come down on us or anything like that. God, even if we did, we would still be here. God, we would still uh, proclaim boldly that, that we worship you, that you are our God, because God, you've done so much for us. God, we want to gather and we want to, together as the church, uh, just, God, we, we want to declare our love for you, and God, we want to follow you as best as we can. So, uh, God, as we look at your word tonight, as we see these two stories from Jesus, God, I pray that you would help us to uh, have ears to hear. God, God speak to uh, not only our, our brains, not only to our, our mental understanding, but God, speak to our hearts tonight. God, help us to be people who would not only hear what you have to say, but God, that we would truly understand it, that we would be doers of the word and not merely hearers. So we give this time to you. We pray that you would work and that you would use it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's look at Act 1. The first thing we're going to look at is where Jesus cleanses the leper in verses 12 through 16. So uh, for us to look at this first story, we gotta, we got to read it before we can talk about it, right? So let's read Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16 together. Starting in verse 12, it says, While he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. He ordered ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So what we see in these verses, we, we got to pick, pick this apart a little bit, talk about some of this. So the, the poor man that came to Jesus in this story was desperately sick. Dr. Luke describes him as uh, covered with leprosy or, or, or full of leprosy is, is the way that it could be translated. 
And by the way that this is stated, really, we, we understand that this leprosy, this, this disease that he had, had run its full course. He has uh, not just the, the, the starting stages, but he has really uh, gone the full distance with this disease, and he is fully uh, torn up by this disease, leprosy. So leprosy, or as it's now modernly called uh, Hansen's disease, as it's better known today, is not a rotting infection. It's, it's not uh, an infection that... Uh, would would cause skin to rot like it was once commonly thought. Uh, the disfigurement that was associated with Hansen's disease, with leprosy, uh, really it, it comes as a result of uh, the body's warning system. The, the pain system is destroyed in, in the disease. And so uh, the disease brings numbness to the extremities, and uh, I think it's the... The, the ears, the eyes, and the nose. So uh, you're, you lose feeling in your legs and your arms and, and some of these extremities. And in that numbness, uh, the, the devastation that comes, the, the, the picture that we think of of uh, rotting skin and, and, and limbs falling off and things like that that we kind of picture when we uh, read these other stories of leprosy and, and maybe have heard anything about it. Uh, it comes from the incidents that are a result of that pain warning being gone, Right. It comes as a result of a person not knowing that, oh, I dropped something in the fire, I'm going to reach in and and grab it and pull it out. Normally, the pain reaction would tell us, no, that's a bad idea, Uh, but they would just reach in. Maybe they would wash themselves with with scalding water, something that would would cause trauma to their skin, would cause trauma to these extremities. And this poor man that we see in our story, uh, this disease has run the, the full length. So he has uh, not only gone numb, but now his body is covered from head to toe in damage. Uh, the, the wounds, the, the, the constant uh, beating and, and, and battering and burning and the things that, that he's done to his body, not realizing that he was causing problems uh, for his body, has left him with a foul and rotting uh, reality that he's living in. So uh, as we see this, uh, as we talk about leprosy in Scripture, there are some things that, that went along with this. See, it wasn't just uh, the physical misery that, that people had to deal with as they lived with this. Uh, we can hardly imagine the, the humiliation, the isolation of a leper's life. But, but see, since they didn't truly understand what was happening uh, with this disease back in these times, they had to react accordingly, and they had to try to protect themselves. So lepers often were ostracized from society. They were, they were outcasts because people were fearful. Oh, this person's obviously not well. I don't want to catch that. That doesn't sound familiar to any of us, right? Right? Yeah? Okay. Anyways, uh, no commentary for that one. You just take that and, and do whatever you want to with it. But uh, he, he was ostracized from society. He was separated out, and, and it was thought that leprosy was highly contagious, which we now know uh, it's not. It's, it's much easier to deal with now. But uh, whenever he would come into range of the healthy people, of the, the, the normal uh, society as a whole, lepers were required to, to yell out, unclean, unclean, everybody keep your distance. I'm not clean, you, you shouldn't come near me. The, the only way that they could be around people was by yelling out unclean and, and people would scatter, right? If this wasn't bad enough, having to yell unclean, unclean, can, side note, can you imagine having to do that every time you went somewhere today? Every time you went to the grocery store, you had to yell out, everybody get back, I'm coming through, would leave you kind of desperately longing for for interaction again that sound familiar to anybody 
these days. But if this wasn't bad enough, if, if this wasn't enough, this reality wasn't bad enough on its own. It was also thought that those who had leprosy, it was commonly thought that, that they had this disease because God was punishing them for something. That they had contracted this because of some terrible sin that they had committed. That God had unleashed his punishment, his wrath on them because of some terrible, uh, atrocious evil that they had committed. And so not only were they ostracized for the, the, the gross uh, disease that, that people thought that they had, but, but also they were ostracized because, oh, you're, you're one of those rotten, sinful people. So they, they really were truly outcasts in society. And, and despite this misunderstanding that, that God was punishing these people, that they had this because of some terrible sickness, because of some terrible sin, excuse me, this leper did, in fact, illustrate the effects of sin pretty, pretty visually. Uh, I, I like to think of him as a visual parable that, that the people were able to see. And, and R.C. Trench as I was studying this week, he, he kind of recognized this and pointed this out, saying that a leper was not worse or guiltier than the other people. He, he, he hadn't uh, deserved more of hell or, or hadn't sinned more egregiously than, than many of the other healthy people that were around Jesus at this moment. But, but people kind of looked at him that way. But what he did have uh, was the fact that, that his disease kind of put put outward reality to something that, that is an inward reality in, in all of humanity, right? Uh, leprosy being a parable of sin, R.C. Trench uh, explained it as an outward and visible sign of the innermost spiritual corruption. The reality is that, that just like this man was rotting and, and foul and there was a, an infection, a stench, a, a disgusting reality of his physical appearance, the reality is that, that every human kind of has some of that on the inside, right? That, that as the Bible describes it, sin is so uh, consuming that, that sin, that the way that we have, have totally stood in opposition to God when we're on our own, when we're uh, living apart from God, the way that we are described is as filthy, disgusting, even, even the good things that we do are described as filthy rags. Even the righteousness that we have, have, have done our best and we think, man, look at me, I'm a good person. The Bible describes that as, as filthy rags. So this leper is a physical illustration of ourselves apart from the cleansing work of Jesus Christ. Sin has invaded all of our faculties and, and just as uh, leprosy had destroyed this man's body, sin's leprosy runs from the top of our head to the bottom of our, of our feet in the same way. We are wholly unclean and we see that uh, Isaiah chapter 1. Just write that down uh, if you want to go and, and read that later. Isaiah chapter 1 talks about how uh, from, from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, we see uh, sin totally immersing us. If we could see ourselves with spiritual eyes as we are apart from Christ, we would see this reality that, that they saw with this man and his leprosy. Rotting, filthy, disgusting mess of, of a person on the inside apart from Christ. We are sinful people. But in Luke chapter 5, verse 13, it, it tells us here, talking about how Jesus responded to this man, it says that he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. We don't know the, the timeline of, of how long this man had had leprosy. 
how long he had had, had this skin disease, this, this uh, being ostracized and, and, and kicked out of normal society. It may have been 10 years. It may have been 20 years. It, it could have been 50 years that this man had been outcast and, and had been completely without physical touch of, of anyone that wasn't a leper because people thought this was so contagious they were kept at, at more than an arm's length, right? He probably hadn't been touched for years. So what we see here is as Jesus not only is willing to heal him, but, but is willing to say, I'm, I'm willing for you to be healed. And he reaches out and he touches the man. Probably, you know, just a, a gentle touch on his arm. I, I am willing to heal you. And reached out and touched this man. Jesus not only met the man's physical need of, of healing his body, but he met an emotional need as well, right? He met a, a, a need at the core of who this man was. At, at the very center of who he was, he was someone who had been for years yelling out, unclean, unclean, get away from me, the monster's coming through. And that had probably done serious damage to, to not only this man's relationships, but this man's soul. Unclean, everyone get back, the, the monster is here. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, I'm willing to heal you. But not only does he say, I'm willing to heal you, he reaches out and he touches him. And just as we saw with Peter's mother-in-law a few weeks ago when, when Jesus spoke and told the fever to be gone and she was immediately healed and got up and, and proceeded to, to serve them as they were there, this man's healing was sudden. It was complete. The, the, the arms and legs that had once been ravaged by this terrible disease, that the wounds were made whole. Maybe fingers and toes regrew in the places that they should have been. He is no longer diseased in any way, shape, or form. And this is a great picture of what Jesus can do for individuals today in the split second of unbelief. All it takes is a moment. Jesus is able to, to change lives completely. So we see this man with leprosy made whole, not only physically, but also that Jesus was willing to, to touch and to minister to this man's emotional and spiritual needs as well in his soul. Let's look at the second act, the second story. We see Jesus forgive and heal a paralyzed man. We're going to read verses 17 through 26 and, and then talk about them a little bit. Let's pick up in verse 17. It says, One day he was teaching... And there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him, Jesus. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Hmm. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. And immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. They were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. They were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. So in these verses, we, 
We, we see in the story of, of Luke's gospel, we see uh, some key players introduced, right? Because this is the first time that we see the Pharisees come into the picture. The Pharisees, if, if you're familiar with Jesus' story, if you're familiar with the gospel at all, you know these are guys that Jesus is going to continue to have run-ins with. But we see these men come, and, and, and that's kind of an interesting thing. He's going to address them in just a minute, but this uh, is their first mention in the book of Luke. But in verses 18 and 19, we have four men, four friends who are willing to, to, to put in some work for their friend, right? See, they, they grab their paralyzed friend. They know that, that Jesus, that the fame of what Jesus has been doing uh, up to this point in the previous weeks and, and maybe months, they know that Jesus has been out healing people, that, that the news of Jesus healing people has, has started to spread. And they say, Jesus can fix our friend. We need to get our friend to Jesus. And so they, uh, obviously he can't go with them and walk with them. So they put him on a stretcher and they, they carry him. You get a corner, you get a corner, I'll get a corner. We'll, we'll, we'll carry our friend to Jesus. And so they bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus, but they couldn't get him through the crowd. See, in, in the house, as people are there listening to Jesus and, and, and seeing what Jesus has to say, the crowd has, has packed in the house so tightly that, that they can't get their friend to Jesus. So what do they do? Even though they're unable to, to enter into the house in a normal way, they start to get creative, right? They, they, houses in this day most often had a staircase and a, and a flat roof that was made of mud and, and sticks and things that they were able to, to go up the staircase and get up onto the roof. And they proceed to tear a hole in the roof to get their friend to Jesus. A typical roof in this day uh, consisted normally of, of timbers that were laid two to three feet apart running uh, across the length of the house. And then you would have uh, sticks or, or, or other reeds and twigs and things like that that were laid across it. And so they build this kind of thatch roof. And then there was about a foot of, of dirt, of earth, that was laid on top of that and packed down and packed down and packed down so that it wouldn't leak badly. And they've packed this down so most of the time... A roof of this style during this time in history was about two feet deep. For them to climb up there, for them to, to get their friend through the roof, they, they weren't just moving a tile. They were digging. They, they had a little bit of excavation to do to get their friend in. Can you imagine being in the house and all of a sudden you start, what was that? What was that? And, and dirt starts falling and, and, and as the hole starts to open up, you've got uh, guys up there just digging away at the roof and Stuff's falling on you, and what are these guys doing? They make a hole big enough for them to lower their paralyzed man, friend on a stretcher down through the hole, and they, they drop him into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. They were not going to be turned away. They were going to get their friend to Jesus. Let's use our imagination for a second, because I think this was fun as I was imagining this week. A lot of time we, I, I've got four kids, and I've got four young children, and sometimes we go places and we don't leave it as well as we found it. We try really, really hard. We, we try to pick up the Cheerios from under the booth when, when we go eat at a restaurant, and, and we try to be respectful of our friend's property when we come over, but we've got like a little tornado that comes through sometimes when, when we show up at a friend's house. And there are times where you, you try and you try and you try and, and something gets tipped over and broken or, or, or something gets spilled on the rug or on their, their beautiful tablecloth and, and people try to be gracious, but you can tell, man, that, 
that bothered me a little bit, right? They're not going to tell me, but, but, but you know, after we leave, I, I can only imagine the conversations. Can you believe the, the, the tornado that came through? That's with something that got spilled on the carpet or something small that got broken. Can you imagine the conversation that the homeowners are having? Like, seriously, guys, you're going to rip a hole in the roof. Come on, guys. I don't think, uh, I know the commercials that talk about mayhem and, and the insurance company that covers mayhem. I don't think mayhem is covered when people come and crawl up on your roof and dig a hole in the roof. We've got this interesting picture of, of people that were so committed to getting their friend down into the house that they were willing to, to risk loss. Potentially for themselves, potentially for the homeowner. And as they lower their friend down in front of Jesus, Jesus' first response is not what they expect, right? They've gotten their, their sick, their, 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 their paralyzed, their injured friend who's not able to walk. They're able to finally get him to Jesus, set him down in front of Jesus. And, and you know how Jesus responds? He says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus, we brought him here because we wanted him to walk home. We don't want to carry him home. We want him to walk home. And Jesus forgave his sins. But we get to see the Pharisees' perspective here. This is interesting because Jesus' pronouncement of your sins are forgiven is blatant blasphemy. What he's saying, standing there in front of these religious leaders that, that quite quickly got offended by his statement, he's saying, I am equal with God because only God can forgive sins, right? I don't get to forgive sins. You don't get to forgive sins. We get to forgive things that are done against us, but we don't get to say your sins are forgiven. Only God can do that. But Jesus looks at this man and says, your sins are forgiven. (gasps) These religious teachers that are there in that moment are blown away. This guy just claimed to be God. So why did Jesus do this? Why was Jesus' first response to offer forgiveness for the man's sins, not healing for the man's legs. See, what Jesus knows and, and, and what we can pause and realize and acknowledge is that this man's greatest need was not healing in his legs. That was, that was big too. But this man's ultimate need was spiritual. Just like all of our ultimate needs are spiritual, right? It's wonderful if, if, if life is good. It's, it, it, I, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful that I have a healthy family and I have somewhere to live and, and we have food on the table and, and, and we don't have to worry about a lot of those physical needs. It's great. I'm thankful for those things. But, but those aren't ultimately the most important thing. We can learn to go without some of those things, right? But what Jesus is saying here and, and what all of us should, should probably pause and acknowledge is that our need from God is greater than health and wealth and, and happiness. So he looks at this man and he says his greatest need, obviously, is, is the forgiveness of his sins. And so Jesus meets the greatest need first. He says, this man needs to be forgiven. And so he pronounced forgiveness in front of these Pharisees, not only to point out to us that that, that was the man's greatest need, but also because the implications of the miracle that it was about to happen. See, these men saw Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. And there was probably some conflict in them. Verses 22 and 23 reveal to us a little bit of Jesus' logic in this. Those verses, they say, but Jesus, aware of their reasonings, 
That's interesting. Jesus knew what these guys were, were thinking and whispering to each other in that moment as he addressed this man and said, your sins are forgiven. He, he knew what they were thinking. That's interesting. But aware of their reasoning, he answered and said to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Why are you reasoning this in your hearts? Which is easier, to say that your sins have been forgiven or to say get up and walk? See, that the religious leaders kind of fumble and stumble over this because the, the notion that Jesus is God, that, that he can do what only God can do in forgiving this man's sins, they, they cross their arms and they get grumpy. They say, who is this guy? Who does this guy think that he is? Because he's out here doing what, what only God is supposed to be able to do. But, but I think they would naturally assume that making the statement, your sins are forgiven, would be easier for Jesus because there's no objective way of of testing whether or not anything happened in that moment, right? People that are sitting there watching, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Uh, okay, maybe, maybe his sins are forgiven. Maybe they're not. They're, they're, there's not really any way that we can tell. There's nothing external that shows that he's forgiven or not forgiven. So what he's doing here is, is as these Pharisees are going, who is this guy? Jesus goes, all right, you don't believe that that I'm truly God. You don't believe that I have the ability and the power and the right to forgive this man's sins. What if, what if I do something that's a little bit more difficult for you to, to explain away? What if I heal him physically as well? So Jesus made a point of verifying the spiritual miracle that had happened, that, that his sins were forgiven, improving that, that not only was he God who had power over uh, this man's uh, sins, to, to be able to forgive his sins. He also proved that he was God and had power over this man's sickness, over this man's illness, that, that he was unable to walk. He said, take your mat, get up, and walk out of here. And just like that, it says, immediately again. We keep seeing that word, immediately. As soon as Jesus said, fever be gone. As soon as Jesus said, go let the nets down. As, as soon as Jesus said, uh, leprosy no more, and, and touched his hand. Immediately, this man took his mat and got up and walked home. We see two really interesting stories where Jesus heals not only physical infirmity, but, but he also heals spiritual and emotional and, and, and unseen realities in this. Let's, let's talk a little bit now that we've seen the two stories about how all of these things should make a difference in our lives as we go home. Because it's great for us to have story time, but, but God wants us to take these stories and, and, and put them into practice in our lives, right? We don't get to just sit here and, and talk about the stories and go home with, with some more information in our head. So what are we supposed to do with all of this? Well, let's look at the leper first. When I look at the story of the leper, first thing that we see is a fundamental qualification for any of us that are coming to Jesus, See, the way that he came to Jesus shows all of us, should, should teach all of us a lesson. Because he knew when he came to Jesus, Jesus, I know that you're able to, to heal me. I know that you're able to make me clean, but, but if you're willing, would you make me clean? See, he comes to Jesus with a, a humility, with an, an acknowledgement of his condition. I am unclean and I need you to make me clean. He knew that he wasn't good enough on his own. He knew that he was hopeless, and he knew that Jesus was his only hope that he had. Nothing that he could do for himself was going to be enough. 
that pitiful refrain that, that, that had rung out in his life so many times before, unclean, unclean. Every time he had come in somewhere, unclean had shaped this man's whole psyche, his whole mindset towards the world, his, his whole view of himself. He knew unclean. This is the perfect posture for, for any of us to, to come to God. This is the way that that the Bible tells us that we all have to come before God because it tells us that that those that think that they're good enough on their own, that that the people that puff out their chest and say, God, look what I've done, are ultimately unclean in the same way as this man was. We are not sufficient. We are not good enough on our own. We We are not able to meet God's standard of perfection on our own. But... When we understand unclean, unclean like this man did, we are in a perfect posture to receive grace. God does not come to the self-sufficient. He comes to the empty in spirit. He comes to the humble. Matthew chapter 5, the, the Sermon on the Mount, talks so much about how blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the ones who are not proud and, and full of themselves and, and, and think they're enough on their own. Blessed are the ones who realize their need for God. If you want to come to Christ, this is the way that you must come to Him. Not just for salvation, although that's part of it, but, but every day, every moment of every day, God, I'm not enough on my own. I need you. We have to acknowledge that we're sinners. We have to acknowledge constantly That there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more and there is nothing that we have done to make God love us less. But we come to Him humbly and receive His grace because the the good news of the Bible, the good news of, of Jesus is that we weren't good enough on our own, but God chose to love us anyways. And that's important for us to to understand and to realize and to come to God and and ask for salvation and receive that gift of salvation. But it's, it's also important for us every single morning when we get up as a believer, as a Christian, to realize that, that God, I want to give you everything, but, but if I fail in that, I'm not going to run away and hide like Adam and Eve did in the garden. They knew where God was and, and they tried to hide from him because... They were scared of what God was going to think. They were scared that, that because they had failed, God was going to love them less. And I think we sometimes make that mistake, right? We fear that, that God is going to love us less if we don't check off all the boxes every day. You know what? Just like this man realized, I am not enough. I am unclean. I am incapable of doing anything to help myself be good enough. We have to realize and remember that same thing. Second, let's look at the story of the paralytic because the faith of these friends really intrigued me as I was reading this story. These four men that, that were willing to carry their friend doesn't tell us how far they had come from, but, but I imagine they were probably pretty worn out carrying their friend whatever distance it was, potentially miles. They finally get him to the house and like, all right, we're here. He, Jesus is going to heal him now. We've got to get him up on the roof. All right, let's get him up on the roof. They figured out a way, even in the face of all this adversity, they figured out a way to get their friend to Jesus. In our lives, as we think about how we approach our friends, our family, there's many of them who who very likely, it's important for us to acknowledge, 
There are people in our lives that if we don't tell them about Jesus, if we don't bring them to Jesus like these friends of this man did, they may not ever hear it. They may not ever receive it any other way. Maybe they stumble into a a harvest crusade. Maybe they cut on the TV and just happen to hear a, a gospel presentation from a guy on TV sometime. But there's a good chance that, that there are family members and friends in your life and in my life that, that are never going to hear the story of the gospel, never going to hear this message that, that Jesus can clean them up even though they can't on their own. They may not ever hear that if it's not for us taking that message to them. So just like these friends of this man did whatever it took to, to drag their friend to Jesus, we truly love those around us, it's important for us to have the kind of love that these friends had, the kind of love that's willing to, to do whatever it takes to, to rip open a roof, to, 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 to be willing to suffer scrutiny, to be willing to, 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 to suffer mocking. What do these idiots do when they're ripping a hole in the roof just to, to, to drop their friend in through the roof? All right, these guys are crazy. They were okay with it because they knew that Jesus was this guy's only hope. And they were going to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. Do you have that same willingness in your life for that son or daughter? For that neighbor? For that coworker? Are you willing to, to go to whatever length is necessary to, to bring that person to an understanding of who Jesus is? When a person believes that Jesus is the only way, they will go to great lengths to get their friends to Jesus. We must have the conviction that Jesus is the only way, and we have to believe that he can truly heal those that come to him. Do you truly believe that Jesus is the only way for your friends to, to live eternally? To, to have hope in this life? Even, even aside from the afterlife, I can tell you with absolute certainty that life is better when Jesus is in it. My life is better because Jesus is in it. Your life is better because Jesus is in it. As Paul talked about in Philippians chapter 4, I can face anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's not a verse saying that I'm going to win every football game and I'm going to, I'm going to get everything that I want and I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to be rich. And No, what he's saying in the verses before that is I've been poor and I've had a lot of stuff. And in both of those situations... I was okay with it because I had Jesus. I've had lots of stuff. I've had powerful moments in my life, and I've been brought low at moments in my life. And you know what? In both of them, it was okay with me because I had Jesus, and Jesus was enough. Do you believe that that Jesus is enough for your friends? If we're not praying, if we're not willing to, to, to pry open roofs for our friends to get to Jesus, do we really love them? Finally, we see in both of these stories that, that Jesus was willing to meet physical needs. Jesus was willing to, to meet physical needs. We should be willing to sacrifice for people around us. We should be willing to be generous because God has been generous with us. But more importantly than Jesus meeting their physical needs, Jesus met and focused on their spiritual needs. God can do anything that he wants to do. He can heal any disease that he wants to heal. But the greatest miracle the greatest need, the, the greatest thing that, that Jesus pointed to in these moments was, young man, your sins are forgiven. I see that your legs don't work, but, but, but we'll deal with that later. Your sins are forgiven. The healing miracles are exciting. 
the, the stories that we've gotten to look at over the past few weeks are exciting. But let's be careful to, to keep our eyes on the most important things, to keep our eyes on the most important miracles, the, the fact that not only does Jesus change the external for, for these men and women that he's interacted with, he changes eternal realities as well. What good does it do us if we're not sick for, for a moment, if, if, if he's able to walk again, if ultimately he still lives without God in the rest of that human existence and, and is punished by God by, by sending him to hell because, because he didn't ultimately meet up to God's standard. He didn't meet it on his own as, as none of us do. And God didn't forgive his sins through the work of Jesus. Well, that, that's not a great story, is it? He could walk for a little while and then he was eternally punished. The healing miracles are exciting. But the spiritual miracles are so much more exciting. The spiritual miracles are, are what we come here and gather together and, and, and get to be excited going home talking about. God is able to change hearts. God is able to change Eternity for people. Has he ever said to you, your sins are forgiven? If he has, go take that message to somebody. If he hasn't, don't leave tonight. Come talk to us. We're going to be over here. The prayer team is going to be over here. They would love to pray with you and and explain how you do that. But don't leave here tonight just, just looking for the physical thing. Don't, don't leave here tonight just looking for the healing physically. Enjoy the spiritual gift that God is able to, to give you, that God is able to do in your life. Let's pray together. God, thank you for... God, thank you for these stories. God, thank you for sending Jesus. God, thank you for the documentation that we can look back and, and see these incredible stories where Jesus, he did care about people's felt needs. He, he did care about showing kindness to people. He did care about reaching out and touching that man emotionally. He, he also cared about meeting the spiritual needs, and those were the more important needs that Jesus met in all of our lives. God, I pray that as we gather here together tonight, God, that that we would all pause and realize the most important miracle that you have done or, or are willing to do in our lives. God, that not only have you made our physical existence better, which you may have, we're thankful for that. But God, more importantly, we're thankful that that you can and will make our spiritual existence better, that you are able to work not only on the outside of a man or a woman, but but God, that you're able to change hearts, that you're able to take a heart of stone, a heart of cold, broken, sick, as that leper's body was. And God, you are able to heal it, and you are able to make us new through the work of Jesus and in our own lives. God, do your work in us. God, help us to realize and to be thankful every moment of every day for what you do to us and for us. God, we offer our lives to you as a sacrifice, as a gift that because you have done so much for us, we give it all back to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.